Okay, guys, let's do questions and answers. Yes, he does. Yeah, he does want you to be happy. He wants you to be happy with exactly who he created you to be and what he wants from you. So your question is, doesn't he want us to be happy? And my answer to you is he actually does want you to be happy. But unfortunately, I don't mean you as in you, but unfortunately you and I have predefined what we will be happy about and what we won't be happy about, and we might be wrong about that. If it's good to have the tea, so you're asking why won't he let us enjoy the tea? <laughs> so I'm going to share with I'm going to share with you an interesting interesting story. There was a man from Russia, from the previous Rebbe's generation, and he came to the Rebbe and he asked the Rebbe that once upon a time they used to teach iskafia means don't eat. Fight yourself not to eat anything more than you absolutely have to. And then he asked the Rebbe, is that what we should teach the boys in America? And the Rebbe said, no. In America, you teach them iskafia is to eat what's on your plate and not complain about it and not change it for anything else. So the word iskafia is relative. But the word iskafia is very real. I'm going to tell you an interesting story without names. There was an argument between two brother-in-laws in Chassidus. One is a giant in Chassidus. The other one is not a nobody, but not, not what this one was. And they were arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing. And the brother-in-law, the younger brother-in-law, was kept on arguing with the older brother-in-law, who is scholar par excellence in the world of Chassidus, arguing that, you know, no, and this, and this proof. And the guy wouldn't he wouldn't be open to reason for whatever it is. Sometimes he gets stuck in, no, this is the way it is. Until the older one kind of lost it and told him, Herr, you'll stop fresting steak, you'll come back and argue with me, Chassidus. <laughs> what kind of statement was that? Either guy's right or he's not right. It's a very simple one. The rule is, the strength of the body is the weakness of the soul, the strength of the soul is the weakness of the body. That doesn't mean that you have to have a weak body. It means you have to have a weak ego to your body. And when you succumb to your body's desires for no other reason than your body wants it, then you're strengthening the ego of your body. And when you strengthen the ego of your body, do not expect to have a strong sensitivity of the soul. It just doesn't work. Let's go back to the story in the Torah. The Torah tells us that Rebecca was having terrible pains in her pregnancy. She goes to the prophet of her generation, Shem and Ava's yeshiva, and they tell her, no, you have two in your stomach, not one. And then there's another line right there. And when this one's mighty, this one will fall. When this one's mighty, the other one will fall. They won't both rule at the same time. Why? Because one is Esau and one is Yaakov. One is the body and one is the soul. You cannot develop physical pleasure and at the same time expect to be sensitive to spiritual pleasure. It just doesn't work. 
There is no organization in the world that can sell you that. There is no check in the world that can buy you that. You just need to decide. If you're going to indulge in the lower levels of pleasure, it will dull out your higher levels of pleasure. There's a reason why intellectual people don't indulge in obesity. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. There's a reason why eating and indulging in food leads you into highly developed powers of physical desire. There's a reason for it. So when we talk about escafia, we're talking about having the pleasure of making a decision freely. I want to engage in higher pleasures. Intellect, divinity. And for that, I'm going to have to start dulling out my lower levels of pleasure, physical touch, taste buds. They just can't dance together. Not until Mashiach comes and the body becomes transparent to the soul, then not only won't the body be an interference, its passion will bring the godly soul to greater heights. But for right now, there's just a decision to make. So what happens... So let's go over what you're asking. You're asking that right now, if I drink the tea when it's hot, that's my body's craving. Later, a cold tea, whoop de doo But look what you just did. So later when you drink the tea, it isn't about the ego. It isn't about the metaphysical desire. It's about the physical need for hydration. You can turn what down? It depends. It depends why you were drinking. If you are only drinking because ah, right now I want that hot tea that's going to hit the spot, don't. There's nothing real about that. Do you know why the highest killer in America is obesity? Because we don't look at food as energy. We look at it as a pacifier. We look at it as chemicals for happiness. We look at it as self-pity party. Food in America has become everything but what food is supposed to be. The job of a person is to identify exactly what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Not that I'm here to quote to you movies, but there's an interesting moment in The Matrix when the guy's looking at that food saying, I know it's not real, but it's so good. That's what we're trying to not do. We're trying to actually embrace that food is what God meant it to be. Not about taste bud sensations. And even on Shabbat, when you're supposed to eat the meat, what are you supposed to be? Are you supposed to be feeling Sudat Shabbat? Or are you supposed to be, oh, this was a, oh, was, oh, was this a challenge? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to walk away with Silotka until you have a heartburn? Oh, was this a Shabbos Fabrengen? You need, you need to decide what is real. And what's real is that the taste bud pleasure isn't real. That's the Yitzhahara playing with you, trying to tell you that your real identity is the car, not the person in the car. And we need to fight that. No, it's not the car. It's the person in the car. 
There is a real place for food, and it isn't on the taste buds of your tongue. It's in your blood system with the organs. Go ahead. Assumptions are never healthy, but go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so let's go over. What you're asking is, let's say you bring your proof on the mana, the gods of flavor, and any flavor we wanted other than certain objects, certain items which would be dangerous to a pregnant woman, it says. But you're saying that Hashem wants us to enjoy. So let's, let's go back over, and then you're asking about the fasting. I am not telling you, like, what was the name of that book? Um, oh, what's the name of that, that book? The whole thing that was supposed to be about the secret thing. Uh, no, not the secret. The uh, oh, what's the name of that book? The book where they talk about Christianity and then really, uh, he the no, the, what's that famous artist? The Da Vinci, Da Vinci, Da Vinci Code. Thank you. So in the Da Vinci Code, they talk about this group, right? Where they tie around their leg, they talk these spiky things, so they should hurt themselves purposely anytime they find impulse, it should cause pain. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about creating pain at all. We're not talking about fasting. The fifth about Rebbe saw. The sixth about Sheba when he was his son as a young kid burning himself with tea and he said, that's what Chassid has taught you? So no, we're not talking about afflicting pain. We're talking about something else. We're talking about if you're doing something for no other reason than your animalistic soul wants pleasure right now, then that needs to be squashed. In other words, there is absolutely a place, not at all times, you need to know your balance. But there definitely is a place that if you want right now to drink a cup of soda, you should instead drink a cup of juice. There is definitely a place in service where you need to tell the horse, horse, you're the horse, I'm the rider, and the focus is on where I need you to take me and not about you deciding that right now you're going to pasture in fine grass. There is definitely a focus where you need to ask yourself, who is the real me? Is it the godly soul that came down into this body and the body is a vehicle to get it where it has to go? Or is the soul here to give the body life so that the body can experience its bodily pleasures? There definitely is a place in service where you start telling yourself, whoa, Time to curb myself. One of the interesting teachings it says in Chomish, the Gemara tells us that what? 
that there's a story of the Sota and there's a story right after that of the Nazir. And it says, why? Because if you see that there's a story of a Sota going on, it's time for everyone to realize, let's cut down on the indulgence. So there is definitely a place where you need to grab the reins of the horse for no other reason than to let the horse know. It's not about you. It's not about your taste buds. It's not about your glands. It's not about your hormones. It's about that I have a spiritual identity and a spiritual purpose. And the more I'm going to indulge in your physical definition of pleasure, the more I'm dulling my spiritual sensitivities to pleasure. Now, this could lead to big problems. Sorry, what? No, the Sota is not the Nazirite. The, the, the Sota is not the Nazir. The Sota is going to be put to death. The Nazir is the person who read about it in the paper and says, oh my God, what is this world coming to? Time for me, who would never even think of doing such a thing, to cut back on wine. I, I'm just using an example. I just showed you for one reason that when there's a not balance in the world between goodness and badness, goodness needs to once again use its power to squash its own involvement in egocentric pleasure to be able to heighten its theocentric pleasure. You can't have two sensitivities simultaneously. Now I do want to share with you that this must be done under the guidance of someone who's mature and who takes you at where you are. You do not want to begin a process where you are now making life bland, colorless, because it's going to end up hurting you in your service to God. So Hasidus in general, when it's brought into immaturity, or what we call in the world of Talmud, Ephrochim, young chicks, that haven't yet matured and are trying to fly, you're going to end up with crazy chassidus. We see it over and over. People going cuckoo, dancing in the street, saying things that are off the wall. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about on the mature level to keep good focus on your balance. I need to make sure that life is full of joy, but I also need to make sure that I keep a good eye on my gauge between my physical and pleasure and my spiritual pleasure. My physical sensitivity and my spiritual sensitivity. And no one can convince himself that they can have both. If you remember, there's a story in the Talmud about a certain person who in the Pirkei Avot is listed as the top student of Rabbi Yochem ben Zakkai. And he came to such a point of forgetting his Torah. Why? Because he moved to a resort area he drank wine, he indulged, and therefore he lost his sensitivity to divinity. It's right there in chapter 6 of Pirkei Avot, the 48 prerequisites of studying Torah. Recall, please, that one of them is you'll eat bread and salt and sleep on the earth. What it's telling you is you need to curb physical indulgence in order to sensitize your spiritual intake. You can't have both. You can't. You can't be sitting and indulging in physical, permissible physical. I'm not even talking about prohibited. 
So at some point you need to ask yourself, is there any real reason why I'm eating this or doing this or buying this? Or is it only about my homemade egocentric drive? If it is, you need to every once in a while say, no, you know what? I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to eat this. You know what? I'm not going to buy that type of car. I'm going to take that type of car. You know what? I'm not going to buy the more expensive clothing. It's okay every once in a while to be humble. And the list goes on and on. So I'm not telling you to hurt yourself and live now like, like you know, in a monastery. But do keep a good balance and find someone who you trust as a teacher to be able to tell you, hey, 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 you're going a little too crazy. You're not an angel. Come back down. Enjoy life. And then you need someone else to tell you, whoa, 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 girl, you're overdoing it. Don't come to me tell me that I don't feel Shabbat no more when you're sitting there indulging in everything that's just for the own egocentric pleasure. That's what we're talking about. That's the life of a Bainini. Question? Teaching in a Balshamtov. Beautiful that you know that. Balshamtov actually teaches that the uh, point. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, back. The Balshamtov has an amazing teaching. The Balshamtov says that the soul knows that the spark in this piece of physical belongs to you. You need to elevate it. But it also knows the soul that you are not in touch with what your soul wants. So how does it get you to go there? So it gives you physical drive. Now you're engaging. The soul's counting on that last minute twist that once you do engage, which you engage because of your own physical reasons, but once you do engage, it'll come to you, hey, I'm a Jew, let me do this as a Jew. So what you're saying is true the neshama will use your physical egocentric pleasure system to get you to get involved with something that you wouldn't get involved. He's doing it for ulterior motives. He knows I got to get the horse to the water because this water needs to be drunk and elevated by this person. But once he does come to drink, it can't end up that he drank it for the purpose of egocentric because then he didn't elevate the spark. So it's a very fine game of like a spy. He's following you, following you, following you, playing along, knowing that at the last minute, he's got to pull left or right. So yes, the Baal Shem Tov teaches us that if you find yourself attracted to something, it's probably because there's a spark there for you. But remember, it's for you to elevate it. If you go there because you're finding yourself attracted to it and you do it only because of physical attraction, then you didn't elevate it. So the soul gained nothing by getting you there. On the contrary, you brought down the spark. I don't get into the deep down, girl. I get into the very plain and simple. What were you thinking when you did it and why did you do it and what did you do with it? That's the bottom line. Why you're being attracted to it is one thing. Why are you being attracted to it? You're right. The Baal Tov says that the soul is sending you there for a reason. Once you get there, it's not mystical. It's very practical. How are you approaching it? Egocentric or theocentric? Are you asking yourself, how can this enhance my commitment to God? Or are you saying, wow, 
this has got a lot of potential financially. That's what it boils down to. So you're right with what drives you there, but remember why you're being driven there. So the, but that his soul is talking to you in your language. Your language is body language. It's talking to you body language. But remember that if you do believe that it's the soul sending you there, the soul's not sending you there for bodily indulgence. The soul is sending you there because from the six days of creation, there was a spark waiting just for Miss You to do the right thing with it. Let me try to let me try to understand, or at least what I'm assuming, what you're asking. In uh, a relationship, male-female relationship, there's obviously a lot of things playing other than the mitzvah of getting married. There's obviously, from an emotional perspective, there's the emotional pleasure that male and females give each other in a relationship. There is also be bluntly more for males than females there's also the ego part of it he's got a girl oh what a girl turning heads right and left this is my girl there's also the physical pleasure involved which comes along with marriage to deny any of that would be to be totally arrogant and not acknowledge who you really are and yet and yet it's extremely important that you make different type of milestones in your life in every part of marriage where you stop for a second and say you know what this is also about God let me explain to you just share with you something that I've been taught even in the most physical act of marriage where unless you're a tzaddik you're not thinking about God even there they teach us that at a certain point, just stop for a second and say, we're not animals, we're humans. We're not just humans, we're Jews. This is also about God. The Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya that there's an obligation every time you study Torah to realize that God Almighty is talking to you. And just like by Mount Sinai, every word they heard their souls left their body, they trembled. So too, when you and I study Torah today, we're supposed to experience that. It's impossible. Not only is it impossible, you can't learn that way. Because learning takes a certain, I'm here and I can understand this and I'm gonna put my brain to it. You cannot engage your brain when you're trembling. You can't learn like that. So the Alter Rebbe explains that because of the way Kabbalah sets up every hour's relationship with a different setup of the letters of God's name, the 12 by day and the 12 by night. Therefore, he says, at the beginning of every hour, stop for a moment and remember that this is God's Torah talking to you. This is God talking to you, telling you right now the Torah. Build up a fear and then go back to learning. 
the practical balance that we were talking about before. So let's go back to what we're talking about. Life, relationships. We're not going to be able to make this spiritual. We're physical human beings. We react physically. But to be able to stop short in middle, in middle of the whole hoo-ha, and stop, remember who you are, remember what you do, and then re-engage. That's just a practical answer to what you're talking about. No, you cannot go out there in today's economic world and be spiritual while you're working. But you definitely have to, over and over again, smack in the middle of your work. Stop for a second, remember who you are, remember that you're a Jew, remember it's all about God, remember it's all about your people, remember it's all about your Torah, remember it's all about your land, and then go right back making the biggest buck you can. But if you don't do that, you're not going to end up living a Jewish life in your physical pursuits. And then eventually, you dull out your spiritual sensitivities. So at least put yourself little signs along the way where smack in the middle of everything you stop, station identification, and re-engage. The beauty of a Bainini's life and that could be a very joyous life. Being able to know that I pulled through as a human, not as a hormonal animal, is something to be proud of, something that you know God's proud of, something that brings joy. There's nothing to be happy about if the morning after, all you have is memories of being the biggest animal you've ever were. Doesn't really give you happiness. Somewhere deep down it even bothers you. That's why men get very vulnerable afterwards. They'd be like, well, we turn away. But there's nothing great about it, nothing to be happy about. But to be able to know, hey, did what I had to do, and more or less, I was human about it. It's something that gives you a piece of happiness. Something you can smile at yourself, you can smile at God, knowing God's smiling at you. Okay?